This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Romans 3, 9 through 20, where Paul asserts that no one is righteous. Together, we discuss the intended purpose of the law, which is to expose sin. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again this week as we continue working through Romans together. Um, as a quick reminder, last week in our episode, we began uh, Romans chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 8. Uh, in this passage, Paul addressed God's faithfulness, and from it, uh, we talked about our role as conduits of God's righteousness and faithfulness to the world around us. Um, this week, we're going to be continuing that work through chapter 3, uh, looking at verses 9 through 20 specifically, where uh, in this section, Paul asserts that no one is righteous. I believe we have Natasha reading for us uh, today. So Natasha, would you read Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20? Yes. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. All right. Thank you for reading that passage for us, Natasha. Um, before we get into the conversation and, and exploration of this passage, I think it's appropriate, as usual, to just be reminded of the context um, that this passage is coming to. Um, and so, again, as a reminder, you know, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome who is facing um, some division in, in their midst. There, There's two kind of clear groups that exist. There's the Gentile Christians, there's the Jewish Christians, and they are at an impasse on what, it looks like to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, what they their expectations of being a Christian. Uh, specifically, the Jews are trying to push uh, a lot of the Jewish traditions and Jewish laws onto the Gentiles, even though they're both like saying, hey, we're following Jesus. The Jews are saying, yeah, well, in that you also need to make sure you abide by the kosher laws. You also need to make sure that you are circumcised. And, and like, it's like they're trying to revert to uh, the law, the Old Testament law, in the midst of this conversation of following Jesus. And the Gentiles are saying, no, we don't have to do that. 
Um, and so there's this disagreement that exists, and Paul is uh, writing into that that disagreement. And so that's kind of the the situational context that exists, and then the context as far as where we've been so far in Romans is you know early on in in the the book, well in the letter, um, Paul establishes the reality that that you know Gentiles are unrighteous and in need of a savior. Um, he talks about how God has been making himself, um, revealing himself since the beginning through creation. And so there is nobody that can, can have an excuse. Like they are guilty. Right. Um, and then he moves on to begin to address the Jews and, and specifically, um, addressing, the reality that, well, the the law and circumcision does not justify you. It does not make you righteous. And kind of starting to poke holes in this, uh, in the things that the Jews were elevating and, and holding in high regard, um, the, the things that were the tension point, really, between the Jews and the Gentiles at Rome. Um, and then, you know, we move into, into last week where it talks uh, about... Uh, God's faithfulness to um, his covenants and his commitments and this reality that, well, the Jews, I mean, they are God's chosen people. And and that's true. And Paul doesn't want to dismiss that while he's addressing like their, their overemphasis of the law. He doesn't want to dismiss the law either. He just wants to identify that, hey, you guys have placed too much emphasis on something that should not have it. Um, and as God's chosen people, you are chosen for a reason. You weren't chosen as the end. You were chosen as that avenue through which God could make himself known to the rest of the world. And you've kind of missed that understanding. Um, and so it's with all of that in mind that Paul then comes to the place where we are today to make this statement or ask the question and then make the statement uh, where he says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And he asserts, not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. In other words, Gentiles have been established as in need of a savior, like they are unrighteous. There's nothing they can do and they are in need of a savior. And now Jews have been established as unrighteous and in need of a savior. And that it's kind of with that in mind that we move into this passage today. And you can see his emphasis to the Jews here, in addition to the fact that he's specifically calling them by name, but he's also using scripture, which the Jews would have known and been very well acquainted with. He's using Psalms and prophets um, as he kind of quotes verses, I guess, what he's written in verses 10 through 18, right. all of those comes from, it's not one Psalm. It comes from a whole bunch of different locations throughout the Old Testament. And he's pulling these together because they all have this common theme of exposing unrighteousness and that these were all times when they already had the law. So it had right. already been revealed to them how they ought be living. And yet this was still their reality was that no one was righteous. No one understood. No one sought God. And so all of these things are still problematic. And so that would have, being a Jew, hearing these things, that would have resonated well. You'd be thinking back 
across your long history, um, which we've talked about, I guess, when we were in kind of Malachi, uh, right. we've talked about those a whole, whole lot. Um, but just this, this long cycle of unrighteousness and an inability to fulfill the requirements of God's covenant with the Jews and, right. and hence enter this savior, enter this, this other option, this, this better filling up of this promise, um, that is in Jesus. And kind of at this point, Paul is trying to refocus their attention on Jesus through this, um, to help bring them to this place of unity, which is what Paul's ultimate goal is for, for the church. Right. Right. I love how <clears throat> Paul, he even did it prior to this passage, but in verse 9, he he says we. He doesn't say you, specifically calling out Jews, because he recognizes he is part of that. And so I love how he he makes it inclusive. Sometimes it's easy when we can sit up as a person in a position uh, given authority by God, and it's easy to say you, you, you. But Paul says we. We're in this together. None of us are good enough. We, we all have sin in our lives, we were born with this nature within us, and so we are all, uh, as as it stands, unrighteous on our own. Him doing this leaves them with n- like nothing to stand on, yeah. because they stand before the law, recognizing they were, hopefully, recognizing that it still couldn't save them. Yeah, but I feel like what was said is important. That it's not meant they they either looking at it like a weapon or a tool for them. It was a weapon. They were using it to produce bodily harm to the to to the Gentiles in the form of circumcision. They were using the law as a weapon, and not just in circumcision, but they were using it to get people to conform to the life that they wanted them to conform to instead of a tool, something that can be used to build something up or to expose the sin that's within them. They're using it to, like essentially like say you're not good enough so this we're using this scripture as a weapon to say see you're not good enough and if you don't fall in line then you like you have no other choice yeah paul really brings them to a place of humility yeah i feel like when they're faced with all of this and held it all together and consider it um the jews are are made humble I imagine at the beginning of this, I think we already said this, but I imagine at the beginning of, of the letter, the Jews were probably sitting being like, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know? <laughs> and I feel like the deeper and deeper we get into this, you, you start to hear like, you know, Oh, Oh, cracks I mean, start yeah. to emerge. <laughs> or the Gentiles like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. I don't know though. They've already been so humbled. Maybe yeah. not like, <laughs> well, they're coming I imagine from this is di- when it gets real quiet, yeah. you know? This is when the altar call comes. Yeah, in. they're coming from a much different perspective. I imagine it's more like what we read in the in the Gospels, where he talks about you know, um, the the Gentile beating himself on the the tax collector beating himself on the chest, like in this place of sorrow for, you know, missing it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's the perspective they're coming from, like grateful and s- sorrowful for the life that they live but grateful for what what God's willing to do for them because they they weren't chosen in the same way that the Jews were I think this is this conversation is important like you talk about talking about the difference in the Jews and the Gentiles and the Jews did have you know they had the law and they had um 
they are these chosen people um, and the Gentiles coming in, you have to think that the Jews think that they have an advantage that, well, we're chosen, well, we're chosen. And I think it's easy for even us as Christians to be like, well, we're Christians. Like we we're we're better than that. We're, we know better than that. Just because we know better doesn't mean that we actually do better. But anyway, also that we are just because we have a title and just because, you know, we come from different places and have different things going on. We're no better than anybody else that we are still sinful. We are still not good enough. We are still not righteous and pulling in that kind of levels the playing field. Like, uh, you know, Paul's saying, you know, we're all on the same level here. Nobody's good enough. So as I was thinking about this passage and really thinking about it as a result of a conversation that was had around our table because of what was shared by actually one of the students at our table, um, this, this passage took on even more meaning for me. So like, yes, he, Paul lands the plane for the Jews. Like he builds the case a little more extensively for the Jews than he did for the Gentiles, but he builds this case for a while, like to begin to help them understand that, you know, the, the law is not enough. And like what you had was not enough. And being the chosen people of God is not enough. And then he really drives the point home by saying, let me, let me help you understand why I'm saying it wasn't enough. Cause look, you fell short in all of these areas. So like, yes, you were chosen. Yes. There, there was intentionally something special about you guys that you were supposed to be used for. And even in that, even in that, even in this advantage that you guys had, if you want to call it that, you still fell short. And so like, we are all sinful. Um, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's going to little, uh, that's a little allusion to what's going to come before too long. So he, he establishes the reality of the, the sinfulness of the Jews. And then he goes a little bit further and even calls out the very problem with what they are doing in their church. In, in verse 19, he says, now we know that uh, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced. And I want to pull up really fast. I bear with me for a second because I don't have it open, but I want to pull up the message um, version of that. And that's what really opened my eyes to what Paul was communicating following his like citation of, of scripture to help them understand their fallenness. It, so in the message, it says, this makes it clear, doesn't it? That whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us, to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. And so when, when I heard... The, the student at our table read that, I was like, oh my goodness, like Paul is not only establishing the reality that, you know, they, they are in the same boat as the Gentiles, like Jews are in the same boat as the Gentiles, but he's calling out the problem with what they are doing. Like the Jews were given the law 
not to force on the people around them, but as a guideline for like living in a way that sets them apart from the world around them to help them point to God. Like that's what the purpose, uh, uh, like, or, or part of the purpose of this whole thing was like, not so they could look at the world around them and say, well, this is what you have to do. But so they could understand what God was inviting them to. And so they could like live into that purpose that he had set apart for them, which was for them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So others could see God and know God. And so Paul here, like, calls them out and in, in essentially in a, in a microcosm kind of way, this is exactly what like Israel has been doing, but it's also what the Jews in the church at Rome are doing to the Gentiles. They are trying to read their law into them. And Paul is saying like, not just we are all on the same boat, but you guys are misusing the thing that you were given to harm your fellow brothers and sisters. And when, when that was read in the message to me, I was like, Oh my goodness, this actually makes sense. Now I didn't understand what verse 19 was necessarily saying, but now I do. Well, you talked about this on Sunday about putting expectations on people that they're unaware of. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to make, more Jews out of Gentiles when God's asking them to make followers out of the Gentiles, not to make Jews. We talked about it last week. We're not trying to reproduce people like us. We're trying to reproduce people that follow Jesus. And it feels like that's that's Paul saying, hey, look, you've thought the law was enough, and you could reduce, reproduce people who just follow the law and follow tradition, and follow rituals, when I want people who follow me. That's it. Like, don't make it harder than it has to be. Um, and it's it feels like it's easier for us to give people a set of do's and don'ts, as opposed to help people follow a Jesus that they can't see, they can read about, and they can let, you know, they can let the Spirit speak to them, and through them, and through other people and through his word, but you're asking people to like put effort into something other than just like following rules. Like that seems so easy. So it's like, well, let's just re- reproduce that people who just follow rules. Robots. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, if that's what God wanted, he could have done that. Yeah. If he wanted people who would just follow him, then he could have created people that would just follow him. But it's much like, you know, I'm sure people have heard the example a lot of times. Like, in marriage, you want someone who chooses to love you, not loves you because they have to. God's no different. He's looking for people that will choose to love Him. And so He wants us to help people fall in love with Him, not fall in love with laws and rituals and customs. As you're talking about falling in love with the rituals and customs and kind of how the Jews have have elevated um, these, I mean, religious rituals um, above above this relationship or this following, um, I feel like sometimes in the church we have 
a similar temptation today. I mean, of course, our rituals and customs look very different, and sometimes they honestly vary from congregation to congregation. Um, but you can see it when we, you know, I think of like an old one. We don't really have this this issue as much anymore, but disputes regarding like are we doing hymns or are we doing the modern music? You know, I think in the nineties, like this is a huge, is the piano going to take its place? This was like a huge, a huge thing. And it's a huge source of, of division and how you can appropriately worship God or how you should, you can't appropriately worship God with other music and what is actually authentic worship. And you know, it, when you, when you prioritize these rituals, when you, when you, elevate them to a place that they shouldn't be in, then it kind of loses the whole heart of what existed in the the purpose. Yeah. in the purpose of worship anyway, you know, when we, when you elevate this, this act of circumcision, for example, you're, you're elevating an act that is really supposed to be representative of this covenant relationship you have with God. So if you have a covenant relationship with God, then how absolutely essential is this outward sign. And similarly, like if, if we're worshiping God and our heart is to worship God, then does it really matter whether there's a guitar playing or not? Does it really matter what, you know, who wrote the song or when they did it? And I use that example because, but, but we could, I mean, there's tons of modern examples Scripture. Um, that we could, yeah. which version of the Bible you use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. So just, I, I feel like when, as you said that, it just made me think there's, there's lots of, lots yeah. of different things like this that we still struggle with. Um, it's easy to point to circumcision and be like, yeah, this is so ridiculous. But I mean, really like we, we do very much the same thing. Well, and you say this statement that, you know, that potentially not potentially, I mean, pretty directly, it seems as though the Jews have elevated the the law or the works of the law, um, circumcision, stuff like that to like this place where they shouldn't be. Um, and ultimately like Paul lands at the end of our passage for, for today, really clearly stating that as near and dear as those things might be for you, as, as important as you might think they are, the truth of the matter is that nobody will be declared righteous by the works of the law. Like just plain and simple, the law cannot make you righteous. And so it doesn't matter how, how much you love them, they will not save you. Um, and he goes further to say, rather through the law, we become conscious of our sins. So it's 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 not the thing that saves you, but it's the thing that points towards your need for a savior. Um, one of the commentaries that I was reading had, I, I want to read what it said because I feel like it it really encapsulates this conversation well. Um, it says the the works of the law cannot be limited to the ritual and ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law. It must include even the Decalogue and conscience. So the Ten Commandments and then the conscience that he talks about um, in chapter one, where the, the law is written on the hearts of the Gentiles. It must embrace the moral deeds of both Gentiles and Jews. Nothing humans attempt to do as a means of self-justification will succeed. Only those suffering under the delusion of legalism or moralism 
imagine they can extricate themselves from their sinful predicament by simply treating God's commands seriously. The law is not powerless, but the law can only diagnose the human condition. It cannot cure it. And I, when I read that, I was like, that's, that's exactly right. Like we, Paul walks this tightrope very well. I confessed a few weeks back that as I was reading it, I was like, yeah, the law is worthless. But no, he doesn't say the law is powerless. He's just helping them recognize what the true power of the law is. Right. The true power of the law is that it can diagnose the human condition. Like that's an important thing. It exposes. Right. It, but it can't do anything more than that. Mm-hmm. We need a cure. It, it shows that we are in need of a cure. Right. And that cure is Christ. And, and I don't know, that's just, that's pretty exciting. And, and I appreciated the way that that was worded to to kind of just bring that all together like that. Yeah, their, their self-righteousness isn't enough. And unfortunately, that's where they have been living and Paul has been trying to help them to see. And it is a beautiful thing that the law helps diagnose the condition of our heart. Because without it, we are unrighteous, which I think is what Paul has alluded to from the very beginning of this passage, that we are unrighteous. And so thank you, Jesus, for the law and you know what? I'm sorry for the times when I forget the purpose of it. It makes me think about like, I work in healthcare. So it makes me think about those patients that they come in and they're so sick and we run test after test after test to try to diagnose. And we can give them a diagnosis, but the thing that helps them walk out of there is the cure. It's the medication. It's the treatment. And because you don't go into the hospital necessarily to get diagnosed, you go into the hospital to be cured. And I think that's a, a good analogy for our church. You know, we, we shouldn't be a place that focuses solely on the diagnosis. I think we should be a place that points to the cure, to what's going to save them, what's going to heal them. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.